Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, March 20th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Hawaii Tranbui. Hey, everyone. Uh, last time we talked about the news was on Friday. That was when we learned that James Gunn was rehired by Disney to direct Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, today we have uh, some more uh, James Gunn news. This involves his uh, DC project, The Suicide Squad, which apparently is actually going to be a total reboot, not a sequel. Ben, what do we know? Yes, that is the quote from Suicide or The Suicide Squad producer Peter Safran. He says, first By the of way, all, can, we... Can, can we come up with a better title for this? I like, know, this is just I confusing. Jeez. <laughs> it's really like, come on, guys, you, you can do better than that. But uh, he said in a, a recent interview, first of all, we don't call it Suicide Squad 2 because it's a total reboot. So it's The Suicide Squad. And I think people should be extremely excited about it. It's everything you would hope from a James Gunn script. And I think that says a lot and that promises a lot. And I know that we will deliver a lot. So yes, there you have it. One of the producers of the movie saying that it's a total reboot. I I don't know what that does to Margot Robbie's involvement uh, because there had been some rumors initially that a whole new roster of characters would be introduced in this movie, but Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn and Will Smith's Deadshot would still be involved. And we know that Idris Elba has now replaced Will Smith as Deadshot. So we know that the character of Deadshot is in this movie, but we're still not fully sure whether the actress Margot Robbie is reprising her role as Harley Quinn in this film. So uh, yeah, I, I don't know also what that means in terms of like, does this not take place in the DCEU anymore or, or does it, uh, <laughs> I don't know. The DCEU is becoming so confusing because, you know, some of it seems to be connected. Some of it is not so connected. You know, uh, we may get a Superman movie that's not Henry Cavill. Uh, like, you know, is that, that the same Superman as the Superman that we saw in the Zack Snyder films? Right. Uh, d- did all this stuff happen? Like, you know, when we see uh, the Birds of Prey movie. Uh, what is the title of that? Birds of Prey and the... The uh, Fantabulous something of Harley Quinn. Of yeah. Yeah. Um, 
like when we see that, like has the events of Suicide Squad, not the Suicide Squad, but Suicide Squad. <laughs> uh, I hate this. Uh, like, it, it, has that happened? Like, I'm I'm so confused. And uh, like, how? Like, do does the general like? Are we overthinking this? Like, does the general public not even care like anymore? I mean, I I I think they care because you see their involvement with the Marvel films in that connected universe. So obviously there's some kind of care there, but like, what do you think HD? Like, is this going to confuse general moviegoers? Yes. Especially if we're already confused. I think that general moviegoers do care about continuity in some way. And especially if you're just recasting and changing up and rebooting movies every couple of years, they will get even more confused. And, um, they, I mean, they like a lot of audiences kind of get the handle on like the Spider-Man movies and how there have been multiple Spider-Man movies, and they understand that, but they don't quite like it. So I don't think that DC, the DCEU and Warner Brothers are are um, endearing themselves anymore to audiences by trying to reboot every every time something doesn't quite work right. You know, and it's then, like adding to the confusion of of the whole thing is the whole thing the the separate label that dc is like releasing some of these movies you know like todd phillips joker movie uh that is that is like a a whole separate thing so like that's not necessarily a prequel to or a sequel to any of the joker movies that we've seen before it's it's an entirely separate kind of deal so uh, it seems like warner brothers and dc aren't really concerned with confusing audiences if they've already decided to make lower budget movies that take place in their own alternate timelines. So maybe they're just sort of sort of like throwing their hands up and just going like, all right, whatever works for each individual story. And we'll just sort of roll with it and hope that people come along for the ride. I think that's what's happening here. And I, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that people aren't going to see the Suicide Squad because they're confused of if it's connected to Suicide Squad. Uh, I think Warner Brothers is going to market this thing with, you know, from the guy that brought you the Guardians of the Galaxy movies and, you know, the imagery is going to be just as, like, insane as those films, I would assume. Uh, so I think people are going to go see this thing. But, I don't know, it's just a little bit of a mess. And uh, speaking of a mess, uh, a story that broke on Friday uh, was that Ezra Miller is teaming up with Grant Morrison to pen his own Flash script. Because he's he's uh, kind of at, like, odds with the directors of this film. H.T., what do we know? Yes, so Ezra Miller is teaming up with Grant Morrison to pen his own The Flash script, which will be in direct competition with the scripts being penned by directors John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. And so Warner Brothers is finding themselves kind of in the middle of these two creative visions that um, Ezra Miller and Grant Morrison have versus uh, Daly and Goldstein. So apparently um, Ezra Miller wants to pen a script that will fulfill his quote, darker take on the material. And uh, he and uh, the directors have been clashing since the pair were hired last year, uh, apparently over their more lighthearted approach that falls in line with their previous credits like Spider-Man Homecoming and Game Night. But um, Warner Brothers is apparently um, open to allowing Ezra Miller to submit his own version of the script, but it kind of comes as a sort of ultimatum. If... Warner Brothers passes on Ezra Miller's script, he will likely leave um, the Flash role altogether. And this also could happen regardless because Miller's holding deal with the Flash apparently re- expires in May. So I guess what what we're hearing is that Ezra Miller still wants to do something closer to Flashpoint, which is kind of like this 
uh, kind of weird Back to the Future 2 style story where he has to go back in time and uh, return the DC universe to to what it was, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, these guys, the the filmmakers, want to do a more traditional Flash movie. Uh, I'm wondering what you guys think would would be the better. For me, like, it seems like I like DC movies when they are trying for something more ambitious. Like, I think mm-hmm. people gravitated towards Aquaman because it was weird and crazy. And I feel like a more traditional Flash movie would be too much like, you know, the Flash TV series. Not that, I mean, obviously it would have a much bigger budget and would look better. But, um, you know, this Back to the Future style tale, like, that seems like the way to, like, that seems like the take to go, you know, like, you know, with Shazam taking that kind of big take. And, you know, I feel like that's the direction to go in. Uh, Ishii, do you have any thoughts on this? I'm kind of torn because I think Ezra Miller is really great in the role. And I thought he was one of the highlights of Justice League. And this report kind of rings a little bit um, sort of contradictory to me because his character was probably the mo- one of the more lighthearted parts of Justice League. And uh, hearing him want to take a darker take on the material was a little confusing, especially that he's teamed up with Grant Morrison, who's known for more optimistic <laughs> uh, comic book titles like All-Star Superman. So I I do think that it's it's somewhat in line with what you're, you're saying, um, Peter, and that he is sort of dedicated to the Flashpoint storyline, and that's what the, the movie was originally supposed to be. Um, I think like back in... 2017, Ezra Miller was really excited and really hyping up this kind of storyline. And Flashpoint is something that kind of made sense for me, since for the DC universe, like almost like back then, because it's it was this crossover event that is meant to basically like break the universe and put it back together again and essentially do a soft reboot of it. And it made sense to me when DCEU was kind of just like getting, didn't really know what it was trying to be. And I was trying to do like a sort of soft reboot and start over but now that it's the sort of greater connected universe doesn't quite matter as much to, the, to Warner Brothers, I feel like Flashpoint has become sort of uh, redundant. Like they don't need that anymore because they're already kind of doing it with their solo movies. Aquaman, um, Wonder Woman, Shazam are all so good at being just good standalone movies that have um, that go that have bold strides and do something different and unique in their own corner of the universe and are kind of connected to the greater universe, but they don't have to be. Yeah. So, but they, but they could use this to like get rid of the things that they don't want to continue like suicide squad. I mean, it makes sense to me. It makes sense, but also it's just like already so much of a mess. Like if they, if they just like don't do it, it doesn't matter anyways. You know what I mean? They're like, they've already like messed it up so much that that's like just trying to reboot again will probably mess it up even further, which is kind of the storyline of Flashpoint. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the ship has sailed. Like they've already made these decisions and they don't need an in-universe reason for them anymore. They're just making these decisions. It doesn't like they, they've given up on the idea of like uh, creating an in continuity reason for why these bizarre changes to the universe are happening yeah and uh days after this was announced it was revealed that the game night directors are they are also signed on to direct the creeps at universal this is based on a pitch uh from them that is basically like a coming of age horror movie but from what we understand this would be this would come after flash if they end up directing flash so, um, Peter, can you think of another actor in, you know, the past in, in like the modern era who has 
inhabited a franchise role and given a studio an ultimatum like this in terms of like i'm gonna write my story if you don't want it i'm out i don't um trying to think here usually usually it's uh they're involved as a producer you know, yeah, like the, the like uh, like Tom can... Cruise produces his film, so I think he is very creatively involved in those scripts. But I've never seen like a, a an actor at odds with the filmmaker, at least publicly. You know, I mean, yeah, like this... Edward Norton in The Incredible Hulk. I remember there being a lot of uh, behind the scenes troubles with that, where he sort yeah. of like took over that production. But he, that wasn't a role that he had played in several movies already. You know, that was just like a one and done kind of thing. I don't know. I, I guess it's. It's, it might be a unique situation. If, if listeners can think of any other comparable thing, I'd be very interested to hear it because I'm maybe I'm just maybe there's one that's staring us in the face and I'm just not seeing it. I mean, I, I'm sure it's happened in the past. I'm sure we've reported it. I, I'm sure we've even written articles personally about it. Uh, in fact, but, we talked about it last week on the podcast. Yeah, no, no. But I, yeah, but I can't even think. I can't think of one right now. Um, but we should move on. Uh, the Disney Fox deal is done, guys. Uh, if you go to the Walt Disney Company uh, website, you'll actually see a montage of images on the top that includes uh, both, you know, Walt Disney Pictures and Fox. Uh, not just uh, film, but TV and sports and stuff like that. Um, now that it is done, the big question that fanboys have is when will we see the X-Men in the MCU? So, Ben, do you have an answer to that question? Uh, the Hollywood Reporter has an answer to that, and they say that, quote, unless uh, Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige has a completed script waiting in his desk drawer, any of the newly arrived heroes are unlikely to hit screens until at least 2021, if not later. So they're talking about the, the newly arrived heroes they're talking about there are uh, the X-Men and the Fantastic Four, which, as we've talked about ad nauseum, are now part of technically under the Disney banner now that this Fox deal is officially said and done, signed, sealed, delivered. Um, so, yeah, we know right now that Avengers Endgame and Spider-Man Far From Home are the only two movies that Marvel currently has listed on its calendar. They also have a couple of X-Men movies now to deal with, or Disney does, because uh, that deal just went through. So they have Dark Phoenix coming up and then New Mutants, which is Josh Boone's movie that was initially supposed to be sort of a low-budget horror movie, but has had a bunch of behind-the-scenes troubles and reshoots and stuff like that. Uh, this report, at uh, Hollywood Reporter, actually says that the idea of reshoots has been brought up, although the film could ultimately end up on a streaming platform such as Disney Plus or Hulu rather than a theatrical lease. And that they're talking about new mutants there. So uh, it seems like Disney has has to sort of wipe the slate clean and, and at least clear the path for their own versions of these characters to uh, to enter the MCU fold before we uh, actually see what happens there. And then it's going to be a little while before they're able to actually, you know, uh, integrate those characters and and bring that vision to life. I wonder if there's a plan because you know I've talked to Kevin Feige a couple times since you know this deal was proposed and every single time that anybody talks to him he's like oh I'm not even thinking about it once the deal goes through then we'll start planning and I think that's a bunch of BS. Do you know what I mean? I I, I <laughs> yeah, feel like he has some sort of plan. Uh, there's even some end game reshoots going on. I think soon. Uh, I doubt they would cram any, you know, mutants into that. Um, but you never know. And I, I wonder how soon we're going to see this. I feel like, uh, this is the thing, you know, 
with, with this whole merger, this is the thing that the fans have been talking about the most out of this, which is kind of sad. Um, but it, I, I feel like if I'm Disney, I there's some value into holding on to it and not, you know, giving the fans it right away. You know, making them want it and wait for it. You know, yeah. build up the anticipation. Yeah, that makes sense, especially since, like we just said, you know, you've got Dark Phoenix coming out this summer, and that's a movie with a lot of the primary X Men characters in it. So yeah, if you if you want there to be uh, a sense of extreme anticipation to bring these new characters in, maybe give that movie some time to uh, have its cycle in the in the news, and then fade away for a few years before bringing it back. That might be a smart way to go, depending on what they have in, in store for like the future of the MCU. It's all sh- shrouded in mystery right now because they haven't officially announced stuff really beyond far from home. So we're supposed to find out more about that soon. So uh, yeah, maybe we'll get a, a hint as to when the, when exactly these characters might, uh, might fold into the MCU. Okay, let's talk about Netflix. Uh, there has been some controversy online because they, they have a new uh, animated series, Love, Death, and Robots, which is kind of this anthology series, uh, episodic series. And uh, there was a, a lot of uh, talk that Netflix was showing episodes to people in different orders based on their sex. That turned out not to be true. But I think what's really interesting here is Netflix is – testing random episode orders for their original shows. Uh, HT, what do we know? Viewers of Love, Death, and Robots first noticed over this weekend that they were getting different episode orders per person. And this is something that was unusual even for an anthology series. Um, At first, they assumed that this was based off of their sexuality, but uh, Netflix quickly debunked that. Um, in a tweet, they said, quote, we've never had a show like Love, Death, and Robots before, so we're trying something completely new, presenting four different episode orders. The version you're showing has th- nothing to do with gender, ethnicity, or sexual identity, info we don't even have in the first place. So they didn't say whether this would be something they're rolling out or testing for other series, but it's an interesting uh, feature and, a, and a kind of a raises the question whether Netflix will be rolling this out for other original titles in the future by the way i think it's a little uh i don't know uh dubious that they say that they don't know our our sex because all of us i think have like profiles on the site right like at least a name and uh i think still in you know this age it's fairly easy to determine a sex by a name Right. Um, right. But um, the ones that the thing that people were talking about was sexual identity. So whether people identify as gay or yeah, straight, yeah, yeah. which is definitely something that Netflix wouldn't have info oh, on. They, they definitely would not have info on that. Uh, I did hear that they were thinking about doing this for a season of Black Mirror. I'm, I'm wondering. Uh, and that would be interesting because that's like, you know, messing with the people who are watching this, you know, technology show. Um, I, I'm wondering what what is the purpose of this? Is Is it to see. Which episode order makes it best for binging? Like, you know, if we have episode order one, two, three, four, more people end up getting to episode four than if we do, you know, four, three, two, one. So is, is that what they're doing, do we think? Yeah, I don't really know what they'll do with this data. It's possible that that they could be testing it out and seeing like what how long something can hold people's attention, especially if it's an anthology series, 
or if they're just trying to liven up the viewing experience and like give something people something new every time they binge something. Um, so who knows? Um, the, the only thing that bothers me about this is we're already at a point where we're, we're all watching things at different times in, uh, you know, either time shifting or where we're streaming stuff. And we there's already this communication breakdown of, you know, spoiler spoilers and stuff like that. And now we're now watching stuff in a different episode order. So it makes it even more confusing. Ben, how am I going to talk to you about like episode <laughs> one of the show if you don't know which episode one is? Yeah, I know. And and I'm just thinking, I mean, it obviously wouldn't work for something like, uh, I don't know, like a more traditional narrative, like Russian Doll or something like the end of season yeah. or of the, the end of episode three of Russian Doll. You have to stick around for that. And like, you can't do that for a, a show that that isn't this anthology format. But I just I'm not quite sure what they're getting at here, what the purpose of this is, because each of these anthology shows would be different like what? What is what is this testing data going to prove to them? Because it's not like they can just apply this across the board. There's a very very small number of shows that they can e- utilize this data for. I don't know. It, it's a strange thing. And yeah, yeah, I think you're totally right. It, it completely, you know, it, it's going to force us to if this becomes if this takes hold as like a real thing that happens in a lot of anthology shows coming forward. It's going to force us to change the language that we use to communicate about these shows, which is just adding another barrier um, in the whole communication process. So yeah, it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be tough. I wonder if this is just like a, a I really wish I knew I, I had well, somebody they didn't from announce Netflix. This, so I don't think it's a PR thing or like a marketing thing. Right. I, I really think it, I really think it boils down to, they're trying to find the right order to um, maintain an audience throughout this series. Yeah, maybe it's just for this show and maybe they're just using the first, you know, because this is a Netflix original. So it's going to live on uh, on Netflix forever, conceivably. So so maybe they're just using, you know, the first few weeks of of the viewing to find the the quote unquote ideal order for future bingers or something like that. You know, what could be interesting. What if there was a show that uh, was kind of in the the framework of like uh, Pulp Fiction or you know uh, John August uh, movie Go, where um, you know you're seeing stories from different people and their paths cross, right? But each story could be a story in its own right. Uh, they're connected because all of, all of it's connected and they go to the same places and stuff like that. And now they they have eight episodes of that show, and everybody gets to see it in like a different order. So, yeah, I think uh, you're about five years late on that because they did that exact thing for Arrested Development season four. Um, <laughs> I mean, not that well, exact thing, yeah. but very close to it. Like they they designed it so you could watch it in any order you wanted. They didn't actually shuffle the order for you on your behalf. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I guess that's that is just the difference of taking that extra step to actually shuffle up that order and and present it to you that way. Yeah. So this is something that's not quite related, but um, there is an anime series called The Melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya in which the studio actually released the the, um, episodes out of order. They aired the episodes out of order, um, despite it being one single story, uh, as a way to sort of experiment and liven up this 
the narrative and make it kind of a, a fun game for, for the viewers. And it's a little weird, but it works a lot for this sort of quirky offbeat <laughs> series. And I wonder if that's something that like Netflix could do in the future as well. Hmm. And I, I and there's a long history of networks deciding different orders than the creators. Like obviously like Firefly, I think mm -hmm. Fox decided to air that in a different order than what Josh Whedon, you know, d you know, determined it as. And it, that was something that I guess could have been done more in the age of television before everything was like so ser serialized. Mm -hmm. But uh, today it's it's a lot harder to do that. So we'll have to mm -hmm. see. Uh, we have a bunch of Star Wars rumors I want to talk about. Uh, let's first talk about the movie rumor, and that is that the the creators of Game of Thrones, uh, we know that they are making a new Star Wars trilogy. We have theorized in the past what, what, what it could be about, but now a new rumor says, suggests that it could take place in the Old Republic. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so this website called Star Wars Newsnet has a, a source that apparently worked on every Star Wars movie since Disney acquired Lucasfilm. And they, they say that the source is 95% confident that this information is accurate. And the source says that they were approached about working on the next movie this autumn. It is not the Ryan Johnson trilogy. It is the Game of Thrones guy's first movie. And it is set during the Old Republic as Disney wants to open up the Star Wars timeline and appeal to a more Game of Thrones style audience. So that's the quote. Uh, like we said, you know, this is just a rumor at this point. But a as we've speculated in the past, it makes a lot of sense for the Game of Thrones guys to tackle a story set during this time because it's very, you know, it, I think the Old Republic takes place something like 4000 years before the foundation of the Empire. And, you know, it's it's all like uh, Jedi Knights. And, and it, it's sort of like that the palace intrigue kind of storytelling of something like Game of Thrones. So it, it, it from a thematic uh, aesthetic level, it makes a lot of sense for those guys to tackle something like this. Peter, do you do you want to see these guys do an old Republic story? Or are you hoping this rumor is not true? Um, you, I, you know, I'm the one person on this podcast that uh, does not like Game of Thrones and probably the one person in the world. So uh, <laughs> they're my... funny like you. Don't worry, Peter. <laughs> Uh, yeah, T take my opinion w with a grain of salt. Uh, but I also don't love fantasy, and I feel like um, even though Star Wars is fantasy, I, I totally understand that. It's fantasy with a sci-fi uh, skin to it, and I feel like Knights of the Old Republic, as much as I've seen it in YouTube videos, like that, is a lot more fantasy and not something I'm super excited about. But again... I am super excited about almost everything Star Wars. So, uh, you know, I would be in – this is also weird because I had also heard that Disney was doing these these um, surveys seeing if people wanted to see animated versions of Star Wars stories that were in the Legends um, category, like Knights mm. of the Old Republic and stuff like that. Um, so it was interesting that they were asking about that then in, in those surveys. Now – you know, it's rumored that they're going to be setting something in that universe. Uh, HT, you, you are more in the, the neutral zone of Game of Thrones. Uh, I know you watched many of the seasons, but you gave up. Um, but you were a fan of some of them. So, like, w w what do you think of this take? Um, I'm Well, the thing is I'm also in between on this because I don't quite have investment in more Star Wars lore outside of the saga movies and the standalone movies. Um, I haven't watched a lot of uh, other like animated series or titles. Um, so, but 
the fantasy element does pique my interest. Um, and it coming from Disney, I would assume it wouldn't be quite as gratuitous as as Game of Thrones <laughs> is, which actually does uh, appeal to me more. So, um, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't really know much about the Old Republic, so I don't really know what to expect from it, except for what Ben talked about. But I it's, will it say I'm still more, apathetic. I was going to say, it seems more your brand. It seems more like medieval and... Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you seem to like that kind of stuff. I um, do like that stuff. Um, I'm still not a huge fan of the Game of Thrones creators, uh, <laughs> Benioff and Weiss. I just, um, but, you know, I'm willing to give it a shot if I maybe like the trailer or something piques my interest. Ben, what do you think? I know you love Game of Thrones, but you have been a little bit critical of where these creators have taken the series when once they ran out of the source material to go off mm -hmm. of. Right. Yeah, um, I, I'm torn about this because I, like HT, most of my Star Wars knowledge comes from the saga movies and the standalone films, and I, I've not really, um, you know, taken a deep dive into anything else beyond that. But I think that this is kind of what I've been asking for in terms of like opening up the the world and setting something 4,000 years before the foundation of the empire means that it's going to be very, very difficult to reference characters and, and storylines that we already know. And that's the thing that about the, the standalone Star Wars movies that I've liked the least, which is like all of the references and all of the little tie-ins and these characters. Oh, oh, but Ben, you can still go to Tatooine and uh, Dantooine and uh, Endor. And... Yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess I would be happier to see the planets pop up than like actual characters. Um, you know, that, that stuff is fine to me. Although I would still, I would love it if they just, you know, did a completely new thing for once and showed us all planets that we've never seen before, all characters that we've never seen before. But uh, so, I, you know, I, I find it hard to um, to complain about that if that's actually the approach that they're taking here. So I'm just very curious about the execution. Yeah. Uh, OK, uh, we have another Star Wars rumor I wanted to get to, and this involves a TV show that could be heading to Disney Plus. We already know that they're making The Mandalorian. This is uh, produced by Jon Favreau, uh, and that seems a little bit more adult. Uh, this new rumor claims that we could be getting a TV series focusing on the Ewoks. HD, what do we know? It's all a big maybe. So according to a new rumor about the Star Wars uh, content on Disney+, Plus, Disney is secretly working on other Star Wars projects that will premiere on the small screen, one of which may feature the return of the Ewoks. So we don't know if this will center around the Ewoks, if they'll just play a supporting role. Um, this won't be the first time Ewoks have been uh, the, the stars of their own TV series slash movies. If you remember, you may remember the uh, the TV movies, the Ewok Adventure, and uh, the Battle for Endor. I do not because I have not seen them. But well, they, I know they how are not they good, are. HT. But uh, <laughs> I have yeah. not seen them either. <laughs> yeah, but yes, I, that's it. Could be something along that vein, or they could be uh, something like an animated series potentially. Yeah, they, I mean, the Ewoks did have an animated series at one time, uh, just like the Droids had an animated series. I'm I mean, I guess it would be pretty affordable to do an Ewoks live action series because you just need a bunch of um, people in suits, right? Like, it's like you probably wouldn't even need – I guess you need some humans to, to do some talking because you can't just have – it would not be like, you know, planet Earth with the Ewoks where you're just, like, watching them do their daily things. But um, 
But I, I could definitely see, yeah, I, I could definitely see them uh, gearing this way more towards the family audiences, while The Mandalorian probably appeals more towards, like, the, you know, the adult Star Wars fans. Do you think that they're actually going to make a show that's fully centered <laughs> on the Ewoks? Or do you think, I, I feel like it's much know. more likely that they would just have them walking by in the background in a totally separate kind of show. I also wonder if this generation of kids know what the Ewoks are, because we haven't seen them since the original uh, saga, the first yeah. trilogy. And um, I don't know. I don't think kids are that familiar with them anymore. Well, um, it's strange that you mentioned this because uh, my girlfriend Kitra is a huge fan of the Ewoks. Um, she loves Return of the Jedi. We have a we actually have one of the Ewok movie posters hung up in our room. And she collects, like, Ewok dolls and stuff like that. Wow. And um, generally, Ewok merchandise is hard to find until recently. Like, the last two years, Ewok, like, they've been making tons of merchandise for the Ewoks, which is very strange. I'm not sure what the reason is. Um, I do know that the Ewoks have appeared in, like, some of those animated things. Not the Resistance or Rebels, but they did... Um, some remakes of the classic original stories and stuff like that. And like, there's like this, uh, you know, those like force, um, Oh, what was that thing? Uh, Lucasfilm produced this series of animated shorts featuring female, uh, characters. Oh, uh, forces of destiny, forces of destiny. Yeah. They, so they, there was some Ewoks in that and they actually produced like a doll with princess Leia and an Ewok. Um, so, I think Ewoks are on the rise somehow. I'm not sure exactly how, uh, but it seems like uh, I don't know. I, I, maybe maybe it's just all corporate manipulation. Maybe it's just Disney's like we need to uh, get young people into Star Wars early. Like um, I remember being at a Disney conference many years ago, and they were talking about Winnie the Pooh, and Winnie the Pooh at the time had the biggest. Um, I forget the wording, but basically the biggest introduction to children before they were even like able to speak. Like people would just buy Winnie the two Winnie the Pooh, like, you know, uh blankets and you know, mm-hmm. stuffed animals for their newborn babies and like mm-hmm. it's almost indoctrinating them into that so early into the process that it becomes part of their life. And I'm wondering if Disney is trying to replicate that with Star Wars and the Ewoks in some way. Um, although, if you watch Return of the Jedi, I know everybody says that Ewoks are these like cuddly creatures, but they're they're like trying to eat everybody, and they're like they're very <laughs> vicious. I don't I don't know why everybody thinks they're such cuddly nice creatures because they look so cute, Peter. Yeah, but okay, we've gone overboard today. The, 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 we have reached the end. Uh, I I would watch an Ewok TV show. Am I the only one here that would? Sounds um. like it. <laughs> <laughs> Ben, no, yeah. no Ewoks for you? No, thank you. No. <laughs> okay. Um, I do want to mention that we do have some trailers on the site today that if you haven't seen, you should check out. There's a Stranger Things Season 3 trailer. There is a trailer for Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Or Once Upon a Time dot dot dot. Or no. Oh, Once God. Upon a Time <laughs> dot dot dot. Wait, how does it go, Ben? Where's the, where are the dots uh, here? Uh, it might be after the N. Um 
Let me see. Uh, <laughs> son of a bitch. Well, I, I can't believe that we even have to have this conversation at all. Right. Okay, yes, here it is. Uh, once upon a time in dot, 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 Hollywood. Yeah. At least we weren't calling Black Klansmen Black K Klansmen. KKK Klansmen. Yeah. Um, well, you can see both of those trailers on the site right now. And HT did a wonderful uh, trailer breakdown for Stranger Things. And Chris did a whole thing on uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I will link all that in the show notes. You can find all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find all the stories you mentioned on today's podcast on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. This podcast, SlashFilm Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please head on over to our iTunes page. Give us a five-star review. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.